In the third passage I've chosen from Levy to Smith, we catch up with Lord Emsworth and the efficient Baxter at Blandings. I shall not detain you with detailing the chaos that has intervened. Suffice it to say that the efficient Baxter has most unfortunately found himself locked out of the house in the middle of the night. A situation which he tries to resolve by throwing pebbles at a bedroom window. It seemed to Rupert Baxter that he had been standing there throwing pebbles through a nightmare eternity. The whole universe had now become concentrated in his efforts to rouse that log-like sleeper. And for a brief instant, fatigue left him, driven away by a sort of berserk fury. And there floated into his mind, as if from some previous existence, a memory of somebody once standing near where he was standing now, and throwing a flowerpot in at a window at someone. Who it was that had thrown the thing at whom he could not at the moment recall, but the outstanding point on which his mind focused itself was the fact that the man had had the right idea. This was no time for pebbles. Pebbles were feeble and inadequate. With one voice, the birds, the breezes, the grasshoppers, the whole chorus of nature waking to another day seemed to shout to him, Say it with flowerpots. The ability to sleep soundly and deeply is the prerogative, as has been pointed out earlier in this straightforward narrative of the simple home life of the English upper classes, of those who do not think quickly. The Earl of Emsworth, who had not thought quickly since the occasion in the summer of 1874 when he had heard his father's footsteps approaching the stable loft in which he, a lad of fifteen, sat smoking his first cigar, was an excellent sleeper. He started early and finished late. It was his gentle boast that for more than twenty years he had never missed his full eight hours. Generally, he managed to get something nearer ten. But then, as a rule, people did not fling flowerpots through his window at four in the morning. Even under this unusual handicap, however, he struggled bravely to preserve his record. The first of Baxter's missiles, falling on a settee, produced no change in his regular breathing. The second, which struck the carpet, caused him to stir. It was the third, colliding sharply with his humped back, that definitely woke him. He sat up in bed and stared at the thing. In the first moment of his waking, relief was, oddly enough, his chief emotion. The blow had roused him from a disquieting dream in which he had been arguing with Angus McAllister about early spring bulbs, and McAllister, worsted verbally, had hit him in the ribs with a spud. Even in his dream, Lord Emsworth had been perplexed as to what his next move ought to be, and when he found himself awake and in his bedroom, he was at first merely thankful that the necessity for making a decision had at any rate been postponed. Angus McAllister might on some future occasion smite him with a spud, but he had not done it yet. There followed a period of vague bewilderment. He looked at the flowerpot. 
It held no message for him. He had not put it there. He never took flower pots to bed. Once as a child he had taken a dead pet rabbit, but never a flower pot. The whole affair was completely inscrutable, and his lordship, unable to solve the mystery, was on the point of taking the statesman-like course of going to sleep again when something large and solid whizzed through the open window and crashed against the wall, where it broke, but not into such small fragments that he could not perceive that in its prime it, too, had been a flower-pot. And at this moment his eyes fell on the carpet and then on the settee, and the affair passed still farther into the realm of the inexplicable. The on Freddy Threpwood, who had a poor singing voice but was a game trier, had been annoying his father of late by crooning a ballad ending in the words, it's not raining rain at all, it's raining violets. It seemed to Lord Emsworth now that matters had gone a step farther. It was raining flower pots. The customary attitude of the Earl of Emsworth towards all mundane affairs was one of vague detachment, but this phenomenon was so remarkable that he found himself stirred to quite a little flutter of excitement and interest. His brain still refused to cope with the problem of why anybody should be throwing flowerpots into his room at this hour, or indeed at any hour, but it seemed a good idea to go and ascertain who this peculiar person was. He put on his glasses and hopped out of bed and trotted to the window. And it was while he was on his way there that memories stirred in him, as some minutes ago it had stirred in the efficient Baxter. He recalled that odd episode of a few days back when that delightful girl, Miss, well, what's her name, had informed him that his secretary had been throwing flowerpots at that poet fellow, McTodd. He had been annoyed, he remembered, that Baxter should so far have forgotten himself. Now he found himself more frightened than annoyed. Just as every dog is permitted one bite without having its sanity questioned, so if you consider it in a broad-minded way, may every man be allowed to throw one flower-pot. But let the thing become a habit and we look askance. This strange hobby of his appeared to be growing on Baxter like a drug. And Lord Emsworth did not like it at all. He had never before suspected his secretary of an unbalanced mind, but now he mused, as he tiptoed cautiously to the window, that the Baxter sort of man, the energetic, restless type, was just the kind that does go off his head. Just some such calamity as this his lordship felt he might have foreseen. Day in, day out, Rupert Baxter had been exercising his brain ever since he came to the castle. And now he had gone and sprained it. Lord Emsworth peeped timidly out from behind the curtain. His worst fears were realised. It was Baxter, sure enough. And a tousled, wild-eyed Baxter, incredibly clad in lemon-coloured pyjamas. Thank you.